G'day, everyone. Um, I want to talk to you about something today that's far more important than anything that's going on in the world at the moment, believe it or not. So if you'd like to grab a Bible and turn to John 3, I'm going to pray, uh, and then we'll look at that passage. So let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and that in the Bible we have the words of eternal life. We pray that you would help us to hear them clearly today and to respond with your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a house in our neighbourhood uh, that's had a string of owners and tenants in recent times. Uh, none has lasted there all that long. We moved into the neighbourhood a little while ago and uh, um, when we moved in, there was one owner of this house that had been there for decades. Uh, he ha had been a hoarder and he shared the house with possums and various other creatures uh, when the house was sold out from under him, the new owners had to clear the house of him and huge amounts of stuff. Uh, the new owner of the house actually owned a waste disposal company, uh, but the house even defeated him. Um, he got halfway through the clearing up and his wife ordered him to sell the house and be done with it, which is what he did. Uh, the block was put up for sale uh, as a knockdown rebuild site. The ad even said something like, you'll probably want to start afresh with this one. Uh, it was one of those houses, uh, the ads for which don't really show the house, they just show bushes and stuff like that because they can't get a good angle on the house to, to make it look good. Uh, but the house sold and it was bought by a builder who painted it and then rented it out. The tenants never lasted long, the possums drove them mad, the place was rotting around them and everything was mouldy. So the builder did a bit of a renovation, he replaced the rotten timbers, he uh, put in a new kitchen, but the tenants still made, uh, found the place to be quite damp. Uh, one lot tried to light a fire in the fireplace and nearly burnt the house down one night. It was sold again to someone who continues to patch the problems, but what the place really needs is a big bulldozer and a fresh start. Some houses just need a repaint, Others need a renovation, and others like that one need a whole rebuild. When it comes to humanity, what kind of work do we need? Some people think we just need a repaint. Others people, other people think we need a renovation. But the proposition today is that we need more than that. We need a complete rebuild. That's humanity as a whole, as well as you and me in particular. That's the message that blew the socks off a respectable Jewish leader who came to see Jesus one night. Now, for the next three Sundays, we're going to be looking at three people who encountered Jesus in the book of John, chapters 3 and 4. These three encounters, I think, are an excellent introduction to the Christian faith, and I hope that you'll come along for the ride and catch all three of the messages from these chapters. The person whom we see encountering Jesus today is a man named Nicodemus. We're told that he was a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. So he was like a bishop and a member of parliament and a university professor all rolled into one. He was a bigwig in Jewish religion and government. But Nicodemus is also described as a man or a person. And at the end of the previous chapter, just a couple of verses above this, at the end of chapter 2, we can see how Jesus saw all people. From chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. 
But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. People were believing in Jesus superficially because they saw his miracles, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew what was in a person. A lot of people say that they believe in humanity. Jesus was not one of them. Jesus knows how weak, how fickle, how foolish people can be. He knows how selfish we are. He knows that even our best deeds are tainted by impure motives. He knows what's in each person. He knows we can't be trusted. That might be a bit of a slap in the face, but uh, when you look at humanity's track record and when we each look into our own hearts, maybe we can see that Jesus was right. Nicodemus was a very respectable person, but he was just a person like the rest of us, with the same attitude to Jesus that many had at the time. And Jesus says something troubling, confusing, and perhaps a little bit insulting to Nicodemus in verse 3. He said, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. The first thing we learn here is the need for new birth. In the minds of Jewish people at the time, if anyone was first in line for the kingdom of God, it was a person like Nicodemus. But Jesus says to Nicodemus also, you must be born again. You must be born again or you are outside God's kingdom or you are not God's friend. You don't have eternal life. The phrase born again could also be translated born from above. It's talking about spiritual rebirth. You are physically alive, but you are spiritually dead and you need to be born from above, born again. You don't just need a fresh coat of paint, you don't just need a renovation, you need a complete rebuild, according to Jesus. He describes it differently in verse 5 as being born of water and the Spirit, which hints at what is involved in being born again. It involves having your sins washed away and receiving a new heart that is responsive to God. That's what we need. This is not something that we can do for ourselves. None of us decided to be born the first time. Our birth was God's decision, and so it is with the new birth. It needs to be God's decision. Jesus says in verse 6, "'Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit.'" In other words, using your own earthly efforts, you'll only ever produce earthly results. You can't work your way into the new birth, not by making yourself a good person, not by trying to be more religious, not by studying the Bible. Flesh gives birth to flesh. And you can't inherit the Holy Spirit either, just because your parents were Christians or your uncle was a priest or you went to a Christian school and grew up in a very Christian environment. You, in your own heart and your own spirit, must be born again. This is a personal, individual thing that has to take place in each one of us. And this is not a human process of any sort. It requires an intervention from God. Jesus says in verse 8, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. We can't control the new birth. 
We can't control where the wind blows. We can't control the Holy Spirit. So there's a mystery to this process. We're in God's hands here. But Jesus is very clear on the need, even for the best qualified people among us, like Nicodemus, even for the most virtuous people who've, who've helped a great many people in their lives, we must be born again or we have no part with God. Some people don't like the idea of born-again Christians. They think you can be a Christian without being born again, and what they mean is sort of having a nominal attachment to Jesus and being a good person. Uh, but it's clear here that there is no such thing as a true Christian who, ha who has not been born again. And so the question is, have you been born again? How does this occur? How is a person born again? How do you know that it's occurred? The second thing that we learn here is the key to new birth. Jesus goes on to explain the key to new birth in verses 9 to 15. The key is Jesus himself. He is the key to being born again by the Holy Spirit. He notes that Nicodemus and the Jews still don't really believe in him. They acknowledge the miracles, but they didn't accept what Jesus was telling them about how to get into the kingdom of God. They were still tied up in their religiosity. Jesus says, I have come from heaven. I know what heaven is like. I know what it takes to get there. You have to trust me when I tell you. And he makes a very good point there. A lot of people think or assume that they're going to heaven and that they know how to be right with God. Perhaps they imagine a standard and then they imagine that they have met it. But how would they know? It's not safe to trust your own opinion about heavenly things. It's far safer to trust the one who came from heaven, and that is Jesus Christ. And here's what trusting Jesus involves, verses 14 and 15. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, Jesus was referring to an incident in the Old Testament there, Numbers 21, where the Israelites sinned against God and he sent poisonous snakes to punish them. And thousands of them were dying, but God had mercy and he told Moses to make a snake out of bronze and to put it on a pole so that if someone was bitten by a snake, all they had to do was look to this bronze snake and they would be saved from death, they could live again. What did that look involve when a dying Israelite looked to the snake and was healed? Well, it wasn't just a casual glance. They had, they had to look in faith at this bronze snake. They were effectively saying, I deserve that death on that pole, but instead I humbly choose to receive life from God. Jesus is saying that when he was lifted up on the cross, like the snake was lifted up on the pole, it would be so that anyone could look to him and say, I deserve that death, but I humbly choose to receive life from God. That's the point at which a person is born again by water and the Spirit. The key to new birth is Jesus and what he did on the cross dying for our sins. And when you put your faith in him, when the cross becomes your source of life and hope and assurance then you are born again in the Holy Spirit. You receive eternal life. The kind of faith that Jesus is talking about here 
isn't just a faith of convenience or a nominal, casual yes to Jesus. Yes, I suppose I'll be a Christian. True faith comes from a sense of desperate need, like the Israelites looking to the bronze snake uh, lest they die, a humble turning to God for his mercy. It's putting your whole self in the hands of Jesus. That's what the look to the cross involves. Have you looked to Jesus Christ in that way? Well, the third thing that we learn here is the effect of the new birth. And John adds a paragraph to explain two effects. And these show us that this is not just a renovation we're talking about. It's a rebuilding of who you are. First, when you're born again, your destiny is rebuilt. Verse 16, as we've heard, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Notice there that humanity's destiny is to perish. Jesus knows what is in each person. That is the path that we're on. As it goes on to say, those who don't believe were condemned already, like drowning people who say to the lifesaver, no thanks, go away, I can swim. They're sealing their own fate. But Jesus gives eternal life to whoever believes in him. He rebuilds our destiny. He opens up our future. Your physical birth... Uh, brought you into an earthly life that lasts a little while. Your new birth in Christ brings you into a heavenly life with God that never ends. And in the process, your allegiances are rebuilt. That's the other effect we're taught about here. Verse 19 and following. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. As we know, many people have their own thing going on in this life they don't want God to be a part of it so in effect they're sort of hiding from God they won't come into the light they want to keep doing their own thing people love darkness we hate the light because we love the idea of independence and we hate the idea of accountability leave me alone don't interfere I've got my own thing going on here but if we live by the truth then we acknowledge that we owe God And it's no use hiding. We need salvation. We need the new birth. And so we'll look to Christ in faith. And if we're living by the truth, God will keep drawing us into the light, into fellowship with him. And it will be clear that our new birth is his work, not our own. Being born again is not just a theoretical idea. It changes your destiny eternally and it changes your allegiances in this life. And so it changes this life that you are living because you are now living in the light. You're now living in God. You trust Christ. You know God. You're not the same. You've been spiritually reborn. Some people might be unsure that they've been born again. What's it supposed to feel like? What is it supposed to look like? Some people have always considered themselves to be Christians, just made that assumption. Some people might feel like failed Christians and they're not sure. Do I have the Holy Spirit? Have I been born again? Well, the first test 
there, the first question to ask is, what is your attitude to Jesus? How do you see the cross? That's the key to the new birth, as we've heard. It's not so much about the feelings, it's about your attitude to Jesus. What do you see when you look at the cross? And the next question or test is, are you walking in the light? Are you walking with God? Does it show plainly that you know God by what you do? Is the fruit of the new birth evident in your life? We're told that you can have COVID without symptoms, but there is no such thing as an asymptomatic Christian. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night in John chapter 3. He was still in the dark. He came at night. He hadn't yet been born again. In chapter 7, we find Nicodemus speaking up for Jesus. Then in chapter 19, after Jesus has been killed, Nicodemus steps forward and asks to take care of Jesus' body. I think we can assume that Nicodemus became a disciple. He stepped into the light. He was born again. His encounter with Jesus here in chapter 3 shows that we all must be born again. It could be that you've always assumed that you're a Christian, or it could be that you know you haven't been a Christian, or maybe you're unsure where you truly stand. I want to give you the chance now to step into the light, to respond to Jesus, to be born again, or at least to settle it in your heart and make sure. I'll pray a prayer that I'll invite you to make your own prayer right now. So let's pray to God. Dear God, I'm sorry that my heart hasn't been open to you as it should be, and I've loved darkness rather than light. Thank you that you sent your Son and your Spirit from heaven to give us new birth. I ask you now, through the death of Jesus, to forgive all my sins, and by your Holy Spirit to give me new birth. Help me to walk in the light with you from now on. Amen. Now, I want to assure you of two things if you prayed that prayer in faith. First of all, I want to assure you that God heard your prayer and you have taken a step into the light, into relationship with God, and the Holy Spirit has come into your heart to give you new birth. Second, I want to assure you that we are here to walk with you. Uh, and you need the company of other Christians as you walk in the light. We'd like to encourage you and help you to walk with God in new life. So I'm asking you to seal your new birth today by contacting us at the church so that you can help, we can help you to go on from here. Please use our online uh, contact form, uh, and I urge you to do that right now as we head into a song. <laughs>